Book One, Chapter Twenty Four of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Four Boot or Bail. Mary St. John was the orphan daughter of an English clergyman who had left her money enough to make her at least independent. Mrs. Forsyth, hearing that her niece was left alone in the world, had concluded that her society would be a pleasure to herself and a relief to the housekeeping. Even before her father's death, Miss St. John, having met with a disappointment and concluded herself dead to the world, had been looking about for some way of doing good. The prospect of retirement, therefore, and of being useful to her sick aunt, had drawn her northwards. She was now about six and twenty, filled with two passions, one for justice, the other for music. Her griefs had not made her selfish, nor had her music degenerated into sentiment. The gentle style of the instruction she had received had never begotten a diseased self-consciousness, and if her religion lacked something of the intensity without which a character like hers could not be evenly balanced, its force was not spent on the combating of unholy doubts and selfish fears, but rose on the wings of her music in gentle thanksgiving. Tears had changed her bright-hued hopes into a dove-colored submission, through which her mind was passing towards a rainbow dawn such as she had never dreamed of. To her as yet the Book of Common Prayer contained all the prayers that human heart had need to offer. What things lay beyond its scope must lie beyond the scope of religion. All such things must be parted with one day, and if they had been taken from her very soon, she was the sooner free from the painful necessity of watching lest earthly love should remove any of the old landmarks dividing what was God's from what was only man's. She had now retired within the pale of religion, and left the rest of her being, as she thought, to dull forgetfulness a prey. She had little comfort in the society of her aunt. Indeed, she felt strongly tempted to return again to England the same month and seek a divine service elsewhere. But it was not at all so easy then as it is now for a woman to find the opportunity of being helpful in the world of suffering. Mrs. Forsyth was one of those women who got their own way by the very vis inertia of their silliness. No argument could tell upon her. She was so incapable of seeing anything noble that her perfect satisfaction with everything she herself thought, said, or did remained unchallenged. She had just illness enough to swell her feeling of importance. She looked down upon Mrs. Falconer from such an immeasurable height that she could not be indignant with her for anything. She only vouchsafed a laugh now and then at her oddities, holding no further communication with her than a condescending bend of the neck when they happened to meet, which was not once a year. But indeed she would have patronized the angel Gabriel if she had had a chance, and no doubt given him a hint or two upon the proper way of praising God. For the rest she was good-tempered, looked comfortable, and quarrelled with nobody but her rough, honest old bear of a husband, whom, in his seventieth year, she was always trying to teach good manners, with the frequent result of a storm of swearing. But now Mary St. John was thoroughly interested in the strange boy whose growing musical pinions were ever being clipped by the shears of unsympathetic age and crabbed religion, and the idea of doing something for him to make up for the injustice of his grandmother 
awoke in her a slight glow of that interest in life which she sought only in doing good. But although ere long she came to love the boy very truly, and although Shargar's life was bound up in the favour of Robert, yet neither stooping angel nor foot-following dog ever loved the lad with the love of that old grandmother, who would for him have given herself to the fire to which she had doomed his greatest delight. For some days Robert worked hard at his lessons, for he had nothing else to do. Life was very gloomy now. If he could only go to sea or away to keep sheep on the stormy mountains, if there were only some war going on that he might list, any fighting with the elements or with the oppressors of the nations would make life worth having, a man worth being. But God did not heed. He leaned over the world, a dark care, an immovable fate, bearing down with the weight of the presence of all aspirations, all budding delights of children and young persons, all must crouch before him and uphold his glory with the sacrificial death of every impulse, every admiration, every lightness of heart, every bubble of laughter, or, which to a mind like Robert's was as bad, if he did not punish for those things, it was because they came not within the sphere of his condescension, were not worth his notice, of sympathy could be no question. But his gloom did not last long. When souls like Robert's have been ill-taught about God, the true God will not let them gaze too long upon the Moloch which men have set up to represent him. He will turn away their minds from that which men call him, and fill them with some of his own lovely thoughts or works, such as may by degrees prepare the way for the vision of the Father. One afternoon Robert was passing the shoemaker's shop. He had never gone near him since his return, but now almost mechanically he went in at the open door. Weel, Robert, ye are a stranger. But what's the matter with ye? Faith, yon was an ill plisky ye played me to break into my shop and steal the money, lady. Sandy, said Robert solemnly, ye did not ken what ye have done by that trick ye played me. Do not ever mention her again in my hearing. The old witch has not gotten a grip of her again, cried the shoemaker, starting half up in alarm. She came here to me about the shoon, but I reckon I sorted her. I will not spare what you said, returned Robert. It's no matter no. And the tears rose to his eyes. His bonny lady. The Lord guides us, exclaimed the shoemaker. What is the matter with the bonny lady? There's na bonny lady any more. I saw her burnt to death before my very own eye. The shoemaker sprang to his feet and caught up his paring knife. For God's sake, say it you're lean, he cried. I wish I were lean, returned Robert. The shoemaker uttered a horrible oath and swore. I'll murder the old... The epitaph he ended with is too ugly to write. Dare to say such a word in a breath with my granny cried robert snatching up the lapstone and i'll brain ye upon your own shop floor sandy threw the knife on his stool and sat down beside it robert dropped the lapstone sandy took it up and burst into tears which before they were half down his face turned into tar with the blackness of the same i'm an awful sinner he said and vengeance has o'ertaken me go on out to my shop I was not worthy of her. Gone oot, I say, or I'll kill ye. Robert went. Close by the door he met Miss St. John. He pulled off his cap and would have passed her, but she stopped him. 
I am going for a walk a little way, she said. Will you go with me? She had come out in the hope of finding him, for she had seen him go up the street. That I will, returned Robert, and they walked on together. When they were beyond the last house, Miss St. John said, Would you like to play on the piano, Robert? Eh, ma'am, said Robert with a deep suspiration. Then after a pause, But do you think I could? There's no fear of that. Let me see your hands. There's some black, I doubt, ma'am, he remarked, rubbing them hard upon his trousers before he showed them, for I was a most con out the brains of Duvalsani with his own lapstone. He's an ill-tongued child, but eh, ma'am, you should hear him play upon the fiddle. He's great in his eyne out, even new for the bonny lady. Not discouraged by her inspection of his hands, black as they were, Miss St. John continued. But what would your grandmother say? she asked. She mount ken nothing about it, ma'am. I can not tell her anything. She would grate and pray awful and lock me up, I dare say. You see, she thinks all kind of music, except psalm singing, comes of the devil himself. And I cannot believe that. For I, when I see anything by ordinary bonnies such like as the moon was last night, it I gars me grate for my burnt fiddle. Well, you must come to me every day for half an hour at least, and I will give you a lesson on my piano. But you can't learn by that, and my aunt could never bear to hear you practicing. So I'll tell you what you must do. I have a small piano in my room. Do you know there is a door from your house into my room? I said Robert. That house was my father's afore your uncle bought it. My father built it. Is it long since your father died? I did not ken. Where did he die? I did not ken. Do you remember it? No, ma'am. Well, if you will come to my room, you shall practice there. I shall be downstairs with my aunt. But perhaps I may look up now and then to see how you are getting on. I will leave the door unlocked so that you can come in when you like. If I don't want you, I will lock the door. You understand? You mustn't be handling things, you know. Deed, ma'am, ye may trust to me, but I'm just feared to let ye hear me lay a finger upon the piano, for it's a little I could do with my fiddle, and for the piano, I'm feared I'll just disgust ye. If you really want to learn, there will be no fear of that, returned Miss St. John. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, she added half to herself in a somewhat doubtful tone. Deed, no, ma'am, you're just an angel unawares. For I most think sometimes that my granny'll drive me mad, for there's nothing to read but good books, and nothing to sing but psalms, and there's nae phone about the host but Betty, and poor Shargar's near hand demented with it, and we mount pray till her whether we will or no, and there's no comfort in the place but plenty to ate, and that could not be good for anybody. She likes flowers, though, and would like me to gar them grow, but I did not care about it. They take such a time before they come to anything. Then Miss St. John inquired about Shargar, and began to feel rather differently towards the old lady when she had heard the story. But how she laughed at the tale, and how light-hearted Robert went home, are neither to be told. The next Sunday, the first time for many years, Dubal Sandy was at church with his wife, though how much good he got by going would be a serious question to discuss. End chapter 24